0: What is up my friends and fellow busy bees? I hope you've been having a great week. If I'm being honest, I've been having like a bit of a week. I think it's with February being such a short month, it kind of flew by like quicker than most months feel like they do. And I looked at the date and it was like already March. I'm looking at my to-do list. I feel like I got nothing accomplished last month if I'm being honest because of the puppy. And i I was just, I've just been having a week of a little bit of being in my feelings, but I'm back, I've recovered, and I think it's okay to have those days or weeks or however long it lasts for you it caused me to get my shit together. I did a full reset day at the house and got all those little, you know, I've never been someone to have like little pockets of things sitting around that are like half done. Okay, I lied. I am like that, but I wasn't recently. I had been in a really good groove of having the house super tidy and finishing things before I move on to another thing. And I just the puppy. I I don't want to blame him. He's not to blame, but he is the reason for it. (laughs) But I just was feeling chaotic, so I just completely reset, cleaned the whole house, got everything organized, rewrote out my whiteboard that I keep in my makeup room slash office slash furniture hoarding station, and got everything written out that I need to get done, which is great to have it written down, but now I have a big looming to-do list in front of me, and sometimes that feels overwhelming, but... Que sera, sera, c'est la vie. Some other international saying. I'll figure it out. It's all about just taking the next best step and putting one foot forward and getting the things done slowly but surely. And I know that. And today I have the perspective to be able to see that. So that's great. And it actually kind of inspired today's podcast episode because I sat back and I was just reflecting on my journey and things, how they've progressed or not. And having those kind of thoughts of like fraudulence that can creep in every now and then, I'm not immune to them either. And when I saw this big to-do list of things, I was like, you know, I should have more done. I should be further ahead on these projects that I'm working on, but I'm not. And it reminded me of back before when I was having these feelings in regards to my furniture specifically, I'm at a point where I feel much more confident in my abilities working on the furniture. So now those kind of negative thoughts or that self-hatred or whatever you want to call it can creep in on the business side of things because now that I'm feeling kind of like secure in one area they just kind of like walk their way over to the other areas. So it brought me back to when I was feeling that way about my furniture and just that I was just so new and I didn't really know those things that would set me apart and those small details that would make an impact and really help to make my pieces look professional, look intentional, look like pieces that people wanted to buy. And so today I come to you with five finishing touches to make your furniture flips feel more professional. And so these finishing touches, number one, they make your piece look more professional. So if you are a registered business or service provider, that is to your benefit. Or if you're listing pieces for sale, that's also to your benefit. But it also just makes you feel more proud of the work that you're doing and putting out there and into the world. You know, you're wanting to show those pieces off more actively and confidently, and you're not posting them on Marketplace and hiding the posting from your friends, if you've ever done that. I used to do that before because I did not want it showing up in my friend's newsfeed. It's those little tiny things that really add up to make a big difference when you look at a piece overall. And I recommend doing this whether it's a piece that you're selling, even if you are business or just a hobbyist who, you know, enjoys furniture flipping and happens to post your pieces for sale, or even if it's for yourself too, because you want to make that piece as good as it can be. And if you know that it's going into your home, why would you not treat it with the same care and respect and professionalism that you would with anybody else? So I hope you learned something today and you take these into consideration so you can bring more intentionality to your makeover and just treat your pieces with more care and not kind of just slapping some paint on it and calling it a day and whipping it out of your workshop. There's something to say with getting through pieces quickly, but we don't want to skip those little steps that will really set you apart from the rest in the long run. So take that into consideration. And having that attention to detail and getting the best finish possible will always set the newbies apart from those who are more seasoned. You know, when you're getting into it, you're just learning the ropes. So you're not focusing on those small things. You're just trying to get the stuff onto it, get the products on there, get it to stick, get it to look good. But as your skills become a little bit more refined and it becomes a little bit more second nature, That attention to detail is really going to show off your well-seasonedness and the time that you've spent in the space learning and fine-tuning your skills and your craft. And whether or not the client even notices, having those little intentional touches really sets you apart from the rest. And like I said, that's going to change the way that you show up in the world and the way that you talk about your business, that you market your business. And it's really going to help to fuel your self-confidence. And that might help to inspire you to take on a new venture or make a leap in a way that you hadn't before or try a new trend out or a new furniture style or something that you maybe wouldn't have had the confidence to do otherwise. But now you're feeling secure in your abilities and all that good stuff. So I recommend doing this if you have an official business, if you you plan on maybe having one in the future? If it's just a hobby or a side hustle, it's like the dress for the job you want, not the job you have. Like start doing these early on in your journey and paying attention to these things that I'm going to walk you through. And not only will your pieces benefit from it and your clients benefit from it, but it will start to turn you on to thinking about those little things. And you know, every piece is so different. But if you discover a piece that maybe requires a little something extra to set it apart, You're going to start to think about those things and notice where you can put a little extra care and love into your work. And because you're here listening to this podcast, I know that you love and you appreciate pre-loved, painted, and refinished furniture, which is why I wanted to let you know that I have a weekly newsletter that I know that you'll love. It's called the Friday Furniture Focus, and I highlight my recent furniture flips, but I also talk about furniture facts, which help to teach you about the furniture that you're transforming, and also furniture fixes, which are tips to make your furniture makeovers go quicker or easier or save you time and money. There's also a furniture painter or refinisher featured with a Q&A to get to know them, their story, and their business, as well as lots of other furniture refinishing related content. So if you are interested in receiving this, I'll leave a link in the show notes, but you can also go to my website, MelDidItHerself.ca, and sign up. And then keep an eye on your inbox every Friday for some furniture inspo to start your weekend off right. Okay, now let's jump into those five finishing touches that you can make to make your furniture flips feel more professional. Number one is to remember that not everybody who is purchasing a piece of your furniture is going to be anchoring that furniture to a wall. I feel like traditionally this is kind of how rooms were laid out a lot of the time. You know, you would have maybe a big rug in the center of a room and then you would have a couch on the back wall with the TV on the front wall and a sideboard on the side wall and then a armchair on the other wall and then maybe a coffee table in the middle. So everything had its back pushed up against the wall and there was walking space in the middle in between the items. And a lot of the times that is how people still decorate their homes. It's kind of Honestly, the easy way out. And if especially you have a small space, you don't have a lot of other options unless you get really crafty. But more and more, we're seeing these larger open concept living spaces and houses. And people are learning more about interior design and decorating too. So there's a lot more knowledge out there for these different setups that people can have, the different configurations in their home. Some people are into feng shui and things like that. So there's so many different factors that will have people arranging their spaces in different ways. So keep that in mind and have your furniture be prepared for that whenever it's a possibility. So to me, that says I want the back of my furniture to look good and it could be a piece that is sitting with its back exposed and it wouldn't A, look bad or B, pull the focus from the rest of the room. It would be cohesive looking and that kind of thing. That might mean there's just a plain back, you know, a lot of the times you see a just a cheaper piece of wood kind of nailed to the back as the back of a dresser or something like that. So if there's no maker's mark on there that I'm wanting to preserve, like a vintage piece of furniture that's really old and maybe has like the name of the maker on it, which is well known and adds credibility and would up the price of a piece, sometimes I'll just paint the back of that with the same color that I'm painting the rest of the body of the dresser or whatever it is I'm working on. That way it looks cohesive in whatever space they're putting it in, it could have the back exposed and it looks fine. Now, if there is a maker's mark or for whatever the reason, maybe you didn't paint your piece, you just refinished it, and you want to do a little bit of something extra to it, you can also add a wood conditioner to that wood on the back so it looks nice and moisturized and like it's gotten some love and TLC and wasn't just neglected as the back of a dresser. So then again in that case they can have it be showing if needed and also it just kind of finishes off the whole piece because why would you spend hours and hours working on the front, the sides, maybe the underneath, the top, and do absolutely nothing to the back. You know what I mean? It's kind of just like closes the loop. So I highly recommend that. And sometimes you even have to switch it out if the back is cracked or, I don't know, chipping. There's so many different things that can happen to them. Sometimes the wood warps over time. The piece has been sitting in somewhere exposed to moisture or harsh temperature changes. So just take that into consideration. You might want to switch the back to something a little bit fresher, or if it just you know doesn't match the vibe at all and you think that it would benefit from a new back added on, then go for it. But just remember that not everybody is buying these pieces to anchor them to a wall, and for that reason too, maybe you aren't currently taking photos of the back of your piece, but this might inspire you to start doing so. Because if there are people who are planning on putting it in an exposed part of their home, and they're searching through your website or marketplace or wherever you list your items, that may be something that they may be interested in seeing and knowing, and it would be the difference of them moving on from your ad or sending you a message to follow up if there was a photo there that would show them that it would look okay in the home. And kind of a follow up to number one, number two is the fact that your furniture will be seen at all angles, regardless of the angles that you see when you're working on it. So make sure that you take that into account and you are making all of those angles look as good as they can. So that might mean having your piece be upside down and making sure that if you're painting the piece, you know, you're painting that lip underneath the base, you are making sure that there's seamless lines in between spaces where it's going from a painted or a stained finish to the raw wood, things like that. Just make sure that you're either putting the piece upside down or getting your body on the ground and looking up and seeing what that looks like from that angle. Because let me give you a quick story about something that happened early on in my furniture refinishing experience. I had been working on a buffet right side up and it was on the ground because it was heavy as fuck and I didn't have anyone around to help me lift it up and stuff. So I completely refinished it. Well actually that one I didn't. I painted some of it and used restore a finish to just highlight some of the existing wood. But then the person who came to buy it picked it up and of course the majority of the time you're putting the furniture in the back of a vehicle on its back or on its side And so the bottom is exposed, and this gentleman that picked it up took a look at the under, the lip, um, kind of like in between some of the drawers, which was not painted, but the rest of it was. So you couldn't see that piece when it was upright, but he put it on his back, and he goes, oh no, oh, you missed a spot, you forgot to do here, and I was like, oh... And he's like, it's okay. No worries. I don't know. He said something like, it's good to know for next time or something. Acting as though like, obviously I always do that. And I was like, play along. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm so sorry. I can, there's extra paint in there if you want. I can do it right now if you want. He was like, no, no, it's okay. But I was like, oh shit, people expect me to paint that part. Okay. That's good to know. So from there on, I have always made sure to do an upside down look or put it on its back and take a peek at what you'll see during the loading process because as it turns out there are people in this world that look at and care about that and why wouldn't they? They're paying good enough money for these pieces and again it just shows that extra level of care and intentionality and that you took the time to take a look around and make sure that it was all looking good from all angles. So keep that in mind your piece will be seen at all angles at some point in time and you want it to look presentable at all times. Number three, remember that tape is your friend. It is inexpensive and a very vital, very helpful tool in your furniture refinishing toolbox. So that could be for so many different uses and reasons, but all I will say, it's not all I will say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into it a little bit, but if there's ever a line that you're having to make, don't freehand it. Just tape it off and paint over or stain over or whatever you're doing and then remove the tape. It will always make so much more of a crisp, straight, consistent line than if you try and freehand it, no matter how unshaky your hand is, you might be a surgeon, just tape's always going to look more crisp. Especially if you're using the right tape and it's not bleeding. For me, that is always frog tape. I will link it in the show notes, but frog tape is the tape I use every single time. I don't even buy painter's tape anymore because I don't find that it sticks quite as well. But if you're using frog tape, you're going to always get a crisp line. So that might mean taping off um, an edge if you're doing a dipped piece and you're going to tape around the exterior of a dresser or something like that. That might mean taping off the inside of where drawers are going to go into a dresser and you're kind of trying to make that stop line of where you're going to stop painting before you get further in, like where the drawer glide is. That might mean if you're doing a geometric design on your piece. I mean, you can always use your own judgment, but I believe that a nice, straight, crisp line is always going to look better, more intentional, more professional. Even if it's not even perfectly level, I think a tape line is going to look better than a hand-drawn line just because humans are fallible and it's not talking shit about anyone who is doing it freehand currently, but I always recommend having tape on hand. Like I said, it's pretty inexpensive, all things considered, and you're just going to realize how good it could have been if you've been freehanding all this time because you're like me and lazy and don't want to go to the hardware store to pick up a product that you know will probably benefit you but you're like "Eh, I could get by without it just 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 do it even go online and have it delivered straight to your home even better and the fourth thing that's going to make your furniture flips look more professional as a finishing touch is removing any reminders of the fact that the item you are giving them is second hand obviously presumably anybody who is purchasing a piece of furniture that is advertised as being refinished understands the fact that this piece of furniture has lived a previous life. It was maybe on its way to the landfill. It was maybe in a thrift store. It has lived in somebody's home in a previous design or with a previous look and it is now revamped and refinished and refreshed and coming into their home. So There's a level of understanding there, however, as service providers and refinishers, we want to make sure that we are doing everything within reason, within our control, to make that piece feel still new and fresh and exciting for our customers. These people appreciate the refinished furniture. They're maybe wanting to feel like they're doing something good for the environment when they're looking for new furniture for their home or keeping a piece from the landfill or maybe just looking to get a more solid piece of furniture because a lot of the time these older pieces are much more structurally sound and longer lasting than these newer, more kind of like disposable furniture pieces that you're seeing a lot of the time now. But they don't need to be reminded of that fact daily that it's a piece that lived in someone else's home. So let's make it an Exciting experience and aim to give them a better experience than they even pictured possible. What does that mean? That could mean cleaning up any drawer bottoms. You know, sometimes you'll see gunk or little marks of pens and stuff have been in the drawers. Sometimes they've been in a child's room and they've taken liberties with their marker collection on the bottom of a drawer front or a drawer bottom. Sometimes there's cobwebs inside, sometimes there's maybe dirt, sometimes there is a bit of a stench, whether it's something stronger like cat pee or cigarette smoke or things like that, or just kind of like a mustiness or an older aged smell, you know, when things have just been sitting for a while. Regardless of what it is, we want to do what we can to mask, remove, or eliminate those in some way. That might mean sanding out the drawer bottoms. That might be adding a wood salve to drawer glides to make them slide smoother. That might mean spending some extra time doing cleaning to freshen up the scent inside this piece that you're working on, or adding wood conditioner to the wood after with a light scent so that you're masking that scent as well. Anything that you look at and you think that it makes it look like it lived in someone's home before, Do what you can to get rid of that. Sometimes you need to get creative and, for example, add a drawer liner to cover that up if you simply can't get rid of it or there's a big unsightly stain or something like that. You can go back. I don't know the number off the top of my head, but I did do a whole podcast episode on ways that you can transform the drawers in your furniture pieces. So there's a bunch of ways that you can do that there. I'll link it in the show notes. But just get crafty and do what you can And the fifth and final way that you can add a professional touch to the finishing of your furniture makeover is by adding a maker's mark to add your mark on your furniture piece that you spent all this time and energy and product and care and attention on. It's also a great way to market your business, to add a fun, unexpected pop to the piece that, I mean, your client may or may not notice, but if that piece then gets passed on to somebody else or they eventually decorate again and they end up selling that piece or gifting it to somebody... It's going to show that you had your hand in making that piece what it is today. And it's also a great way to market yourself. So someone who then receives that might see your business name on there and say, huh, I wonder what that is and look you up and then become a fan of yours or a client of yours in some way, shape or form. So I add this on every piece that I sell, whether it's a custom piece or one that I'm just selling. I was going to say free balling, (laughs) just selling on Marketplace, you know and I just have a stamp that I use, an ink stamp. I got it made on Zazzle. It says my business name and my location, like the city that I'm in, and it works great. You can do more complex and more expensive things, but I think the stamp was like, I want to say $15 at most, and I think I had a coupon. So it doesn't have to be complex, but I've seen people get like branding sticks or stamps. I don't know what they're called, but like you heat it up, You push it on the wood and then it burns the image or words into the wood that's a little bit more official and takes a little bit more practice but looks awesome so whatever it is that you decide to do i just recommend leaving your mark in some way shape or form because that's what these furniture makers have done And as furniture refinishers, we are looking at those to this day. And some of these pieces are hundreds of years old. So just think of how long your legacy of your business can last, even if it's, you know, something that you're doing for this year, and then you decide you never want to do again, that's going to live on, it's going to show off the work that you accomplished. And it's also just really fun to add it on. So do it. And something that you may not know about me, I love little motivational messages, they always get me fired up, and I keep a running list of ones that have been especially catchy or speak to me in the Notes app on my phone, so I end every podcast episode with one of those that I've noted down over the years, in the hopes that you leave our time here each week feeling inspired, motivated, and ready to take on whatever comes your way this week. So this week's Mel's Motivational Message comes from, I believe it was a Brene Brown podcast that I was listening to a couple years ago and they were talking about making mistakes and she said when you make a mistake you have three choices blame shame or claim Which sounds very basic when you actually think about it, but I think it's a good thing to keep in mind because when we're making mistakes, we can often start to feel scared or defensive and fearful because we realize that we fucked up and we don't want to admit that. We don't want to admit that we are faulty and we are human and that we make mistakes. So we have three choices. And whenever you make a mistake moving forward in your business, in your personal life, in your relationships, at work, whatever it may be, remember that you can blame yourself or blame others. You can shame yourself or shame others, I I suppose. Or you can claim that mistake and you can use that as a learning lesson for yourself or for others. And you can go forward with that claimed, but at your top of mind so that you don't repeat those mistakes moving forward. But if you're blaming someone else and you're pushing that responsibility off of yourself, you're gonna convince yourself that it is not your fault, that you did not do it, you are not at fault for it. So that lesson isn't gonna linger in your brain as much as it would if you said, you know what, I'm so sorry. I apologize. That was me. I did this. I should have done that. I see that now. Remember that you have those three choices. The first one's going to feel crappy to whoever it is that you're blaming. The second one is going to feel crappy to yourself who you're shaming because nothing good comes out of a place of shame. But if you're claiming it, you might feel a little bit crappy because it never feels good when we screw up. But You're going to have the confidence in knowing that you stepped up and you did the right thing. You admitted your faults and you can be confident in that moving forward and know that you learned that lesson and you can now hopefully not make it again. But you know what? Maybe you do. And you have to claim that as well. And then that's another lesson to remind yourself that you need to remind yourself of these things because if not, you're going to be repeating your mistakes over and over and over again. And that's kind of what we do. And that's adulting. And that is life are you feeling inspired yet? All right, that's it for now. As you move forward, when you make a mistake, remember to claim it, learn from it, and move on from it. I appreciate your time, and I will catch you guys next week.